Giant Robot FM, your home of all things mecha, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, I, we at PMC, this is a very historic day. We are here with f- three other people in our virtual room. This is we've done this once before. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, because are you referring to the the special Macross Plus episode, right? Yeah, the interview episode, right with uh, with Adrian and Gwyn. Mm-hmm. So we're not breaking any records, but we're very close to that today, because this is a very special episode. Um, when PMC and I were planning how we wanted to do our Kukuru's Dome coverage, we wanted to give us enough time to really marinate in it, because it takes a lot of time to produce a history episode. And of course, when you're covering a film, it takes a while to like um, write up those notes and record that episode. And we didn't really want to leave it so soon, but there's only so much you could do with one feature-length film. So we decided, this is a new format, but I imagine it's going to reappear again in the future. Um, we decided to do a little roundtable with some giant robot FM friends, new friends and old friends, in order to solicit some more feedback in order to get some more opinions and voices into the mechs about um, Kukuru's Dones Island, the 2022 feature film. Um, so I'm going to start off with Maddie. Maddie, you are making your inaugural Giant Robot FM appearance, so we'll start with you. Tell us a bit about yourself. You're an excellent Twitter follow. You were at Otakon. I saw you at Otakon, but I'm very shy. I did not introduce myself. But if you're at Otakon next year, definitely we're going to be chatting. Yeah, I definitely plan on being at Otakon next year. Otakon, I went in blind and pretty much by myself just to go hang out with Megan. Yeah, because I saw um, you with Megan there. Yeah, I had the big. You were there on Saturday, so I was the one in the big poofy green dress. That was me. <laughs> but yeah, um, not only is this my inaugural giant um, robot FM appearance, this is my inaugural podcast appearance in general. Ooh. Uh, this is the first time I've ever done something like this, and I'm excited. Uh, you know, trying new things was something I always used to like do all the time. And I've been just trying to push myself a bit more lately because life's so short and I don't want to lose that adventurous edge, you know. Mm, totally. So tell us a bit about your relationship with Gundam. Like, I feel like you are at the, uh, at the peak of the intersection of the Metal Gear Solid fandoms and Gundam fandoms <laughs> based yeah, on uh, it- <laughs> what you're posting on social media. Yeah, um, as the first section of my Twitter bio says, um, you know, I love Mobile Suit Gundam and Metal Gear Solid with all of my soul. Um, that's run true for like 14 years now and nothing has changed. Both series have had such a strong impact on my life and whether I'm more obsessed with one or the other is kind of like a constant game of really intense ping pong with my brain. I was introduced to Gundam as a kid, like really young, through a friend of mine through a VHS tape that they got at the library and I just became immediately attached. Um, I know out of everybody here, um, Steven has known me like the longest at over a year, but some people have known me since like even longer than that, obviously like up to upwards of 10 years for some of my friends on Twitter. And they've known Mm. that I've just been into this forever. It's just been such a strong, you know, force on my life through good, through bad, through the ugly, through the wonderful, you know, I, I've been donning cosplays for instance, from Gundam since, 2012, if not earlier, goodness. So yeah, the relationship I have with Gundam is long, but wonderful, you know? Awesome, that's good to hear. 
Do you have a favorite Metal Gear Solid game? Not to put you on the spot, but I'm very curious. Ah, yeah. I I was talking about this with somebody like a month ago. Somebody put me on the spot about it, and they were like, "Uh, why do you like that one so much? It's actually Peace Walker. I know people don't like the gameplay, but goodness gracious, I don't mind the gameplay as much, and the tapes are my everything, my baby girl. So, yeah, Peace Walker's my favorite game, hands down. No question. The correct answer absolutely (laughs) pmc that's one of the few metal gear solid games that you have not played correct that is correct i actually i i I do want to get around it i've watched a little bit of it um the even if i didn't like the gameplay and i I think i will um the narrative content seems incredible like i'm i'm deeply deeply interested in it yeah maddie when you were introducing the answer to my question i thought to myself they're gonna say four they're definitely gonna say four but i'm surprised that you said peace walker yeah, uh, Peace Walker just, I don't know, I went into it, you know, hilariously enough, like, not expecting to like it as much, and I, so, secret fun fact, I think Steven knows this one, I didn't like Cause at first, I thought he was annoying, and then mm. I just really was obsessed with, like, everything else about the game, and my friend Quinn was as well, and then we went through it again, and then a third time, and I just slowly, he grew on me, like a parasite and now look at my display name on twitter i'm terrible kazuhiro miller liker and i haven't changed that display name in like three years and it's been weird cause ones before that too but i've always been hyakushiki double 087 on twitter so Mm. the the gundam my my golden boy will always be my influence that's a good suit oh hell yeah before we move to our our next panelist, Maddie, do you have a favorite? We're definitely going to have you if you return, of course, and the invitation is always open. But on a mainline episode, but do you have a favorite Gundam show? A uh, Gundam show that influenced you the most that you return to the most often? Oh, the one that I return to the most often is easily the original television series. Mm. It's I I can watch that show and feel the same exact emotions over and over again, like I'm watching it for the first time. Very few pieces of media do that for me, like whether they are my favorite or not, but Mobile Suit Gundam TV series is, I like it more than the trilogy because there's just so much more development into the side characters than the trilogy gave, obviously because limited runtime. And I mean, Doan's Island is definitely one of the reasons why I do return to it all the time because I, I liked it and I liked a lot of all those other side or in quote filler episodes, so... Easily, it is the one I return to the most. Outside of UC, I do return to X a lot. Mm, very cool. Actually, we had a guest on on our Witch from Mercury episode last night who was very enthusiastic about Gundam X. Oh, they've got good taste. I have heard that. It's, like, it's very much the black sheep uh, as far as um, AU Gundam is concerned. Really? I, I've just I met a lot of people who've liked it, but I've, I've met somebody recently who was like, oh, it's sandwiched between wing and turn A. And it's mid in comparison, and I'm like, well, boo-hoo, I liked it. <laughs> no argument, just boo-hoo, I liked it. Oh, well. That's a good way to deal with people who uh, have bad opinions online. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that was Russell, actually. I'll be willing to call him out on that one. <laughs> Shout-outs to Russell. Shout-outs to Russell. <laughs> All right, speaking of the whiplash from the compilation film, Sheena, you were last with us uh, for the first compilation film, am I correct? Um, I was... Yeah! Oh my gosh! For some reason, I thought it was Macross Plus, but um, no. More recently, it was the was the first movie. 
Yeah, we had what episode of Macross Plus were you on? You on episode three, correct? Yeah, I think it was episodes um, three and four. Yeah, and then we had you on for the first compilation film where we where we the three of us collectively feel, felt the whiplash of the pacing um, from that first Gundam mm-hmm. film. Now that that yeah that was seven months ago, like since your last Giant Robot FM appearance, and that in that time you've been very busy. You've published a chapbook of poetry titled "Late Tight in a Night Space." So tell us about that. Oh, um, yeah, it's it's been a very wild seven months to the extent that I couldn't remember if I had last been on from the Cross Blaster for the movie compilation. Um, but yeah, um, at the end of August, I, I published a poetry collection uh, through Alien Buddha Press. Um, it's my first collection since 2018. It's my it's my second book. It's just a just a small little snarky kind of love poemy pop culture hot mess and i love it very much and i'm happy that it found a home with alien buddha it's a great little press but also in those past seven months on top of like getting that published and doing some more writing i'm working on another um longer uh book right now i went from having zero cats in my studio apartment to suddenly having seven (laughs) and now i have two and they you may you may hear them in the background and i do apologize they um they have a hair tie and they're very excited about it i'm i'm a a cat person myself my wife uh, does not care for cats so i have not owned or been in the vicinity of a cat in a while Um, we have a dog but i appreciate cat people i i never had a pet in my life just never had the opportunity to have one and then i offered to like foster these uh this like bonded pair that was found on the street and it turns out one of them was pregnant and then i was a grandmother what color cats i had a black cat that lived to almost 20 years old um back when i was growing up oh yeah these are both black cats too oh nice yeah little little morty and little wendy mortician wednesday nice morty as a shortened name is a great cat name (laughs) agreed You've also been up to, Sheena, you also published a recent post on your blog about OVAs you've watched recently, correct? Um, yeah, that was a long time coming. Um, I, well, I've recently started watching some more new anime. Like, I've been watching, like, Witch from Mercury, like, week by week, um, along with a couple other things. For the past, like, year and a half, I've mostly just been watching, like, retro OVAs. So anything from, like, the late 70s to early 2000s and i've been slowly like gathering and like documenting like where you can find them online um and just like very small um kind of snippets about how i feel about them and i just turned it into this large mega post on my blog um i think i've got um probably about 30 ovas on there right now and it's gonna just be a growing list um as i keep watching them because i I love some retro anime, and I love that short format of an OVA. So, like I said, whenever I posted that, whenever I um, shared the blog post on Twitter, I'm always looking for suggestions. And if I find anything and it's interesting, I will add it to the list. Any diamonds in the rough, like uh, OVAs you weren't expecting to like that you really did? Because I imagine, and I know for a fact, going back to those old OVAs, there can definitely be some whiplash watching them from the vantage point of 2022. Ooh, yeah. Um, I think the one that like really caught me off guard the most was Alien Nine, um, 
which is like from the early 2000s. It's kind of like Madoka before Madoka, where it's just these like little like um, like elementary girls um, who fight wearing like roller skates, these like horrifically like monstrous aliens. And it's like one of those things where I think it's like three episodes long and the first episode is like very cutesy and then it just takes a turn real fast. Um, and it's left a lasting impression on me for a long time. Other than that, I there's like a lot of like conceptual ones. Like I really liked um, the um, adaptation of Cat Soup, which is uh, was originally like a series of like manga that were stylized like diary entries in the '90s. Um, the author uh, passed away, but and after she she died, um, they created this like bizarre kind of like dreamscape nightmare weird <laughs> movie <laughs> in in honor of it. That um, I, while I would not watch it while sad or in a bad mood, I do think it's very beautifully done and also very memorable. Awesome! I have to I have to give that a watch. I've heard the title, uh, the name of the show thrown around before. Yeah, it's definitely like a, it's a dark one. It's one of those things where it's just like, oh, there are these, like, the, the, the manga kind of, like, styled herself as this, like, cute little cat. But all the things that she was talking about were very adult and, like, pretty, like, uh, dark often in matter. Very cool. All right, Ethan, our final panelist here. It has not been that long since your last Giant Robot F appearance. But since then, you've committed yourself to Mechtober. Tell the listeners what that is because it's ended it ended yesterday. And how was that experience for you? Yeah, um, Mechtober is is sort of just an equivalent to like uh, Inktober, I guess, which I, I started doing, you know, back when I was a sophomore in college, like a monthly sort of drawing thing. Um, and last year, I sort of committed myself towards uh, drawing giant robots. I think there is some sort of official list of things for like Mechtober, like somebody, or, you know, quote unquote official, but like people have like a list that they follow or whatever. Uh, for me, it was just draw whatever robots I want and, you know, vaguely theme it um, to whatever dumb thing came in my head. Like uh, one, like every Sunday it was popular anime with some mashed up with something by studio knack, uh, which is the studio probably best known for charge man. Ken, um, but they also did uh, Govarian and, and Groiser X and some, some other popular sort of mecha property. Uh, well, not popular. Um, not very popular, uh, but like weird cultish cult hits um, of their own. Um, and so it was just, you know, a drawing a day, sort of a full color little illustration. Um, and that's always very satisfying to do. It's always very relieving uh, when you're finished at the end of the month. Um, and I'm sure um, I'll compile that in a pinned moment um, on uh, twitter.com where you can find me at sundown underscore McMoon um, and see other art uh, as I post it. Um, but that was really satisfying to do and finish. Um, yeah, last night it was really cool because I finished that and then I also got to do a lecture on Japanese animation at a local university. Um, and we got to screen Flying Phantom Ship as a part of that. Um, so it was very satisfying, sort of Halloween overall, uh, getting a lot of cool stuff with involving robots done. Hell yeah. How, I, I saw you post about that lecture on Twitter, Ethan. Uh, you said the, you commented that the students were very receptive to your lecture and enthusiastic about the film. So that must have been very gratifying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, with these sort of things, I mean, uh, they, there are some times when it's, when, you know, it's a younger audience. Sometimes they laugh at times that are a bit inappropriate, but, um, 
overall they were uh they seem to enjoy it a lot and sort of take it on its own terms because it is a very you know kind of silly tonal whiplash like very compressed mile a minute uh boys adventure story but they still you know seem to enjoy it on the terms that it's sort of supposed to that you can enjoy it from a more adult perspective and uh, I just went over well as the lecture too just because I have to cram in you know Japanese animation history from 1907 to 1963 um, in what is basically an hour and a half um, so it's a lot um, but they seemed to you know take a lot of notes and be really engaged with that and that's always very satisfying to see um, especially for a period that's sort of under discussed um, the realm of anime you know pre Astro Boy kind of material correct me if I'm wrong that film has mechs in it right uh, yes, basically all the like all the the sea life in it are you know robot um, like they they look like giant crabs and squids but they're um, robots. But the big one is Golem, the giant me- uh, mech that's on the poster that was actually animated for its main appearance by Hayao Miyazaki, um, and it's really cool uh, sort of design um, of a classic sort of Tetsujin chunky robot. Nice. Is he credited as mechanic? I know. People back then, even if they were doing the work of mechanical designs, um, weren't credited as such. But is he the, the de facto mechanical designer on that movie? No, um, actually, uh, sort of unusually, um, Yoichi Kotobe is the one who did the design for Golem. Because um, it's based on a Shotaro Ishinomori manga. Okay. Um, Golem was actually adapted by him. I got an art book, a very expensive art book. Um of early work by uh, Kotabe and the translation, and I got a translation of some of his notes on it. Um, he mentions that Golem's head spikes were inspired by the Statue of Liberty. Uh, so there is a loose through line from from Golem all the way to, to G Gundam in terms of mechanized warlike versions of the Statue of Liberty, uh, if you okay. want to make really obtuse connections. <laughs> I, I'm, my next disco tech hall, I think I'm going to pick up uh, that movie. Oh, it's great. You should join uh, us. Yeah, I hear the release. Is it packed with extras? Um, um it, there's a long commentary, I think. Yeah, it's uh, theatrical trailers, uh, dub outtakes, which is like sort of a fun extra, mm. um, and a pretty substantive commentary from uh, Mike Toole and Dave Merrill, uh, who are both really informative guys. Um, not like any like super detailed liner notes, but just the fact that it was dubbed at all kind of blows me away um, that they would do this um, sort of dub of, you know, a classic Toei film from 69 that doesn't have a huge following, but it's uh, really keen that they did. Uh, I appreciate it a lot. And it's a good, it's a good dub. I watched it while I was um, doing research for the updated version of my lecture where I actually talked about it. Um, and it's a great dub, great commentary. So comes highly recommended for me anyways. Awesome. All right. Speaking of dubs, potentially good or bad and a interesting, and in my opinion, good film, let's jump right into Cuckoo's Stones Island. So the format is new to this podcast, so if you're listening right now, here's what you have in store for you. Um, We've got eight questions. So PMC and myself, we each wrote four questions, and imagine the five of us in a room, and we're basically going to go round robin style. PMC and I won't be talking too much in this episode because we've already exhaustively covered the film in our previous two episodes, so we're going to leave it to our co-host, our panelist today, to do most of the talking. But we each have questions targeting different aspects of the film, and yeah, we're just going to review the different takes because we definitely want to hear what you have to say about this very unusual film. All right, so I have the first question, question number one. So let's let's begin at the beginning. Have you seen the original Cuckoo's Stones Island episode of First Gundam? And if so, how do you feel about it? So Sheena, we'll start with you. Do you have any hot takes about the infamous lost episode of Mobile Suit Gundam? 
Um, yeah, I guess my hottest take is that it was not that horrible for the time. <laughs> I, so I didn't, I didn't watch it. Um, the first time that I watched, um, Gundam all the way through, probably not even the second time. Like I've watched, watched the series through a few times over the past like 10 years. But whenever I, um, heard about the movie, um, I was really curious, decided to like find it online, give it a chance. And was really surprised because I was so used to seeing those like very like infamous um, screenshots um, of the of the Zaku and also of uh, the Gundam's like very deformed head at one point, um, and they do look ridiculous. And I was initially very excited at the prospect of seeing this like very ridiculously animated episode. And ultimately, like maybe it's just because I've been watching so many like old shows. And was also just like recently, like fresh off of like watching some of like Cutie Honey, which was only a few years older. I was like, oh, it's off model. And like, I don't know. Like, I thought it was a perfectly like nice filler episode. And while I certainly see like the, there are problems with the animation, I, I do, I, I wish that I would have had the opportunity to watch it sooner. Um, because I don't really think that it was, uh, necessarily worth, um, varying. Yeah. I have a feeling based on what I know about, uh, everyone on this call, I have a feeling we're going to be warmer to the original Cuckoo's Dome than most of the internet is. I feel like while I have my criticisms of the episode, I feel like it, it has good ideas. It doesn't execute those ideas well, but it, it's admirable in what it sets out to do, even though arguably it fails at that. Yeah, the writing is also a little rough. Like, I, because I, then I decided, like, to watch it again after I watched the movie, and I realized, like, oh, you got to make a lot of assumptions in watching the episode to just be like, oh, yeah, suddenly at the end, like, everybody's cool with each other. Um, there's just not that much, like, characterization is not the right word for it, but there's definitely, there's something, like, missing in the mm-hmm. episode that the movie obviously like fulfills, but it definitely seems like, yeah, it's a little like weak in writing as well as the animation. Totally. Now, Ethan, I know you've mentioned uh, off pod that you, you have some thoughts about Cuckoo Stones Island. I feel like you're, you're pretty warm on the episode overall. Am I correct in that? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I like it a fair bit. Uh, conceptually, maybe more than in execution. I think that's sort of a uniform kind of, thing here um because it it is roughshod in a lot of ways like it feels like maybe a bit of a first draft on some level um but i feel like it it executes on a lot of those ideas better than you'd think um i feel like its reputation kind of maybe inclines people towards um uh more like they they goofed um kind of interpretation uh like first of all i guess uh, addressing sort of the the animation uh, issues because this was handled by um I, as you mentioned on the previous uh pod uh pods um rather uh the animation was handled by anime friend the tatsunoko subsidiary um and it looks it like it looks off model and chunky um and there are some times where i'm not sure if it's a case of because it's a south korean studio um as would happen from time to time if they are like misinterpreting some of the storyboards and that sort of thing um like I, I, when the Federation soldiers are bound in the opening, I'm not sure um, if that was intended. If that was like hatching marks or something, just because the posing looks a little off. But also, a lot of things look off. So maybe I'm just trying to offer a bit more um, to the 
original artist, the storyboard artist, um, than they, they deserve. Um, but for an Anime Friend thing, uh, it looks pretty good. Um, I, I, I mentioned this as well. Anime Friend is the ones that, uh, they're the studio that Tatsunoko sort of passed off a lot of the work on the original Macross to. Um, and I would say a good, you know, quarter maybe one-fifth of the episodes of the original Super Dimension Fortress Macross look uh, worse than Kukuru's Doan's Island, and by a considerable margin. Um, like, it doesn't help that it's, you know, be- being compared to the, the heights of SDF Macross, uh, which looks great. It's some of the best television animation ever made. Uh, but when it's bad, oh boy, oh boy, uh, it's it's not good um, at all. Um, do they do the baby toss? Uh, they did the. I believe they handled the baby toss. That's the thing is because they were like production. Actually, they actually handled production for it. So it was divvied up to a lot of you know South Korean studios. Star Pro is probably the most infamous. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that they did. Um, uh, the the baby toss. Uh, the baby toss. I think might not have been Star Pro, but uh, Star Pro. I'm fairly certain are the ones who did. Um, I'm, I'm going to probably interchangeably use the Robotech names for episode titles, but the episode with Miria, uh, where Max and Miria get married, uh, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> wedding bells, uh, which is infamous for having a very bad knife fight and you know everybody's face looks weird and off model. And it's just uh, pretty, pretty bad <laughs> all around. Um, but Kukuro's Don, I think it doesn't look great, but there, there are attempts at doing something kind of interesting, um, like uh, the dream sequence with uh, Kukuro's Don when he's uh, remembering killing the uh, kid's parents. Uh, I love the use of the, the pinks. Um, that's like a stylistic flourish that gets used heavily throughout the series, uh, but I think it still it adds a little something here. Um, and there are a few little moments like that. Um, I feel like it's kind of the opening... Um, it's a bit easier to sympathize with Kukuro's Doan, maybe, in the episode when he's not uh, murdering. Like, like we're not opening on Kukuro's Doan's slasher villain. Um, like, it's people in a reconnaissance ship where you can kind of justify him, you know, shooting it down and them having to do a crash landing. Not like him, like, outright going after them and everything. But then again, also, he ties them up. So, hmm, that kind of undercuts things a little bit. Um, there's a lot of stuff to like in the episode, and I'll probably make more, like, straightforward comparisons. Um, I feel like it... it you need to marinate in a little bit more. Like it needs a bit more characterization and everything. Um, but uh, there's still a lot here that's really good and cool, in my opinion. Ethan, I have a very Ethan question for you. Do you have access to the Italian dub of <laughs> Mobile Suit Gundam? First Gundam? I, I genuinely consider like I didn't go out of my right way to look for it, um, really. Um, but I'm sure it's. Pro- pretty easy to find and there's there's part of me that really wants to look into it i do want to see kukuru's doe and interacting with good old peter ray um and the rest <laughs> of the cast who is mostly the same except for i think mirai's flemette uh amongst a few other things but um i, I could probably get a copy of it um if you're wanting to do a special kukuru's doe and italian dub review <laughs> i just want to know if he's uh, so he yeah, of course as we talked about in the history episode, um, Kukuru's Don uh, has never been, episode 15 has never been dubbed into anything but Japanese and Italian. And I want to know if Italian Don is as sexy as his 2022 counterpart. Perhaps. I'm curious. Maybe he comes across as like being very much a caricature. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I am curious. All right, Maddie, you're up. Kukuru's Don's Island. Yay or nay? Uh, big yay. I've seen that episode multiple times. I'm not a hater. Never have been. I mean, of course, it's not perfect. The writing is rough. 
you know, the animation is, you know, extremely off-model at a lot of times. But I've just always had such a sentimentality for it, for, you know, the wonkiness. And despite its short runtime and other issues, and it just told a really compelling story despite, you know, its shortcomings, the potential to tell an even more compelling story was very much there as well. And like Ethan mentioned, I really loved its use of color, most notably. Mm. That was a highlight for me, especially during Doan's like, nightmare sequence when they limited mostly that sequence to four core colors, purple, pink, pinkish red, um, orange, and yellow. And that just exuded such a... <sighs> such a sharp harsh tone when I watched it the first time and even when I watched it again right before going to see the movie the night before I was still like whoa that use of just four colors in that scene even though it was brief it really made it, it hits hard it hits very hard and for that reason among others I definitely still hold sentimentality for it all right not a, not a hater on this call I'm uh PMC you're not a Cougar's Dones hater are you no, I, I I very much enjoy it. Sometimes maybe uh, in a in a teasing manner, but no, I I would not skip it. Certainly. All right, we're we we are constantly uh, running against the grain here on Giant Robot FM uh, with our Tomino criticisms and our praising of Episode 15 of Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, First Gundam. You love to see it. All right, PMC, you're up. Yeah, question I mean that, that almost segues into the question I have, which is uh, certainly I feel like we've been. Probably like the most vocally Yas-centric uh, Mecha podcast or Gundam podcast even uh, oh, this, totally. this year. Def- definitely. Def- if Twitter is any indication, we are <laughs> the most pro Yas. The most pro Yas. And so, you know, for the purposes of, you know, kind of informing the rest of the answers, uh, going into this movie... I think there are sort of two tracks uh, that you can have in terms of Yasuhiko penned or directed works. You know, one of those are, of course, the origin manga, uh, which Yasuhiko authored, as well as the OVA, which he had, you know, various uh, roles in, the, the Gundam, the origin OVA. And then there's also his other directorial uh, things. I, you know, I think the movies are probably the most relevant things to bring up here. I mean, we could, if you want to bring up Giant Gork, by all, by all means, be my guest. But I wanted to ask uh, each of you, uh, was there a Yasuhiko Pender directed work that was kind of the most on your mind here or that you find yourself comparing it to? Uh, let's let's start with also. And also, the answer is that you aren't familiar with any of these. That's that's fine, too. You know, it's certainly it, that, that may also inform how you approach the movie. Uh, Maddie, what's what about you? Um. I am admittedly not as familiar with Venus Wars as I need to be, but I am more familiar with Crusher Joe and most familiar with Arion for his movies. And I don't know. I think I walked into this movie um, mostly just getting ready to compare it to the original episode just because I'd watched it, you know, the night before and the morning after. And I, I feel like its pacing reminded me of Arion's pacing a bit, like where Arion's pacing did have strengths. I definitely felt that that's where that aligned. However, when it comes to the origin manga, wh- while I generally like Yas, I do have my criticisms of the origin manga in comparison to First Gundam. Like, I don't believe it's perfect, but I do have a rather large criticism if you want me to go into that. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, go, if you want to mention it, it briefly, because I, I think, too, you know, it's got, like, 
even if it's not like canon, right? Like Yasuhiko stated that the Kukuru Stones film is not in continuity with the origin manga. Even though that's not the case, there are, of course, you know, things that are quite similar and carry between the two, you know, in terms of where, where the island is, the prominence of Gibraltar, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, mention it by all means because it, it may even be relevant. I don't know. Um, it's, it's possibly relevant. I mean, it ties into it because mm-hmm. I carried those expectations into the movie, you know, with how I view the origin. So Steven knows this, but the rest of you might not. I did not grow up in the United States. I grew up, you know, for 12, 13 years in the Marshall Islands, which is in Micronesia. And the Marshall Islands was a country that was very much ravaged by Japanese imperialism between 1918 and 1944. And where this pulls, you know, into my criticism of the origin in general, while I like the origin overall, and I I like it a lot, I felt like the Xeon wank was a bit too much. Mm. And the heavy usage of that particular Xeon flag pulls away, I guess, from what I viewed to be Tomino's original intent. Because I feel like the original audience, you know, was not us. The original audience were Japanese viewers, and I believe it was more of a criticism of Japanese fascism, and I feel like the origins usage of the that flag with that imagery um, pulls away from the Japanese aspect, in a sense. And, um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, in a place where a World War II battle took place, and the remnants of the war were prevalent in daily life. And when I, I kind of looked at Yasuhiko and how he approached Zeon itself, and pulling it more into a general fascistic direction rather than more of what I viewed to be like, okay, this is more of an allegory for Japanese fascism other than some pullaways. I didn't like that. I didn't like that as much. I was, it's just a general, like, a criticism. It's not, like, a full-on boo, like, mm-hmm. not like, I, I hate this. This is, like, I, I liked the original intent better, I guess, because I feel like Tomino would force, incidentally or not, a bit more of a reckoning with a Japanese viewer with those specific allegories, both incidentally on purpose and on purpose with how, you know, the Japanese view their past. And so that's just my general opinion on the origin, and that's how I I came in with, you know, as I came into the origin with a little bit of hesitance after reading the manga when I would watch the OVAs, I walked into the movie with, you know, those hesitations as well. So that's just my experience with, like, Yas' work, and specifically more with the origin, so... No, that's... that's, I mean, that's extremely valuable, and, you know, to to consider. I I think... You know, maybe for like for you know for for an audience that doesn't have you know that experience growing up, um, you know that can be sort of less uh, less prominent, uh, and so you know it, it's good it's good to remember that stuff. It is uh, very very important. That's a good thing to bring up. I like how you phrased it, Maddie. Uh, Zeon Wank, because that is something that is uh, we're constantly combating in the Gundam fandom, or I guess uh, our interpretation of Gundam um, when it's aligned with the general fandom's interpretation of Gundam. Oh, absolutely, and I don't even think it's just a Western fandom thing. You'll see it in Japanese oh, no way. fandoms yeah, I as well, because I was in that time zone, so I communicated more with people in like Southeast Asia when I was over there, and in you know East Asia, and you would see it in Japanese Gundam fandom. It's almost no different. Almost no different. 
Yeah, I mean, it birthed Stardust Memory and uh, countless manga series that focus exclusively on the Xeon Boys. Oh, yeah. And it, I just really think it bud from there. And especially it's the usage of that flag in particular. People get mad when people, you know, rightfully confuse that flag with, you know, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I'm just like, well, it shouldn't look like that. You can use the original, like, just like plain burgundy flag with the golden symbols. Just, just use that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Sheena, what about what about you? What is your experience with, with Yas Works? Did you feel like you carried any of them into the theater with you? Um, honestly, not really. So most of my like experience with Yas is like Gundam, um, with the except with the exception of Giant Gorg, um, which like man, I love I love my old giant robots, like old super robots, especially. Um, I'm much more familiar with his character designs, um, which I've always been a huge fan of. Um, and also like his like mech designs as well. So like the fact that he did like the designs for like F91 and for Zambot 3, which is one I've talked about like a million times on this podcast. Um, I'm yeah, much, I'm much more familiar with the things that he's designed and the things that he's written. So I went into it, um, with other than, other than like, yeah, I guess the origin, like not having much of a, much of a thought about like what what Yaz will be bringing to this. Mm-hmm. No, I mean that's fair though. But like, that's I mean that's still you know probably the the works a, a lot of people brought in and so it's always good. I, I'm very the more I hear about Gorg, the more I'm interested in it. So I'll, I'll have to just file that away for for me personally. Come on, Disco Tech. I know someone's listening out there. <laughs> Give us the Giant Gorg Blu-ray, please. No, absolutely. I, I hope that that comes along. Uh, well, all right then, uh, Ethan. What about this is you? Such an Ethan question. Like, I yeah. feel like Ethan could go on for Ethan, like ninety I'm sure minutes you can on give Venus me, Wars. I'm sure, you could give me an answer for each one of these works. I wonder. <laughs> uh, well, you see, uh, Gundam: The Origin, Kukuru Stones Island, uh, which is not its title, but it's a Gundam thing. Reminds me the most of Gundam: The Origin, the manga. No, um, I, Ethan, certain... is that you in lecture mode? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. No, I, I promise. I sound a bit more peppy than that. Um, no, I would say. Um, Probably off the top of my head, like it, in a loose sense, uh, Giant Gorg, uh, just because, you know, it's it's boy's adventure on an island kind of story mm-hmm. um, with, with light horror elements, you know, um, like equating giant robots to giant monsters. I mean, there, there are giant robot monsters uh, in Gorg, but that's, that's a bit more fantastical um, and, you know, sort of a, a surface level uh, comparison. Gosh, it... it I think Arian is probably the, or Arian, um, shouldn't use the other pronunciation of that, um, is probably the closest to thing um, that jumps to mind, but it, uh, it doesn't really remind me of a lot of his other feature work. Um, the pacing is a bit tighter, again, yeah, closer to Arian um, than like, like Venus Wars or Crusher Joe, but I'm sort of remiss to think, like, it, it does feel sort of outside of a lot of his work um and a lot of his even compared to like some of his gundam the origin stuff um like it's got just like well because origin is so sort of sprawling even even the ovas are um they don't are a bit kind of blobbier in their pace and obviously he was less involved in their creation um in general so i would i want to say like a little bit of gorg a little bit of origin um and a little bit of arian um all sort of uh, congealing into something that's uh, still disparate from from those materials. There's I don't see a lot of um, you know Crusher Joe in this at all, uh, or um, uh, maybe a smidge of Venus Wars. <laughs> a lot of a lot of barren landscapes, I suppose. Um, 
and you know sort of a big big punch up at the end that um uh kind of comes together i think it comes together a bit better in venus wars um but uh it's yeah sort of i guess uh, distinct in his anime catalog at least um in particular um and it doesn't remind me too much of anything all that much of anything from his manga work um it's sort of his a different thing um from what he's done before but still familiar in its way yeah absolutely and i do enjoy the the i mean it's surface level i i think i haven't seen gorg myself but the you know just to kind of connect the uh the categorization of involving an island uh, you know among, among other things i always enjoy those sorts of categorizations you know you sometimes can shake out interesting results from them mm-hmm. all right i am up next now something i really enjoyed about cuckoo's Downs island the film and i think pmc agrees with me on this based on our discussion last week is that I really enjoyed the slice of life scenes, just getting to watch the kids exist on the island and watching them move through their routines. Yas allows these moments to unfold without a sense of urgency, which I know I appreciated, but I'm not sure if a general audience appreciated to the same degree. So I'm curious how you all feel about them. So Ethan, we'll start with you here. Yeah, um, I like those sort of slice of lifey moments. Um, I, I wish those were the whole movie. Um, Hell frankly, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, totally. I feel like that's um, partially the strength of the, um, I mean, kind of speaks to the strengths of the original episode, in my opinion, like th- those bits that we do get and th- that what you want to see more of, um, they're, they're here a bit more and you want to marinate in them. Like, like, frankly, I think like the conflict between the, the Southern Cross Corps almost detracts from the larger thing, like the lower stakes nature of the whole conflict um, and that uh, delightful sort of you know anniversary film vibe that this feels like it, it gives off at times like just sort of meriting with these these characters you haven't seen you know together as the white base crew in animation um for you know decades you know i've been made like for in a like a real animated feature uh since you know encounters in space um for goodness sake um so in that way i think they're like the strongest moments um and it's a good blend of things you know you get a little bit of fan service uh, but you also get yaz sort of um playing with a lot of uh, children care children's characters and his own interpretation of uh dawn and um i believe she's named kara in the uh film version um of the events um and a lot of the antics and a lot of seeing how they play off each other is good fun if i were to like i don't know say one thing i guess like I'd like to see more of the white base crew in general. Um, it would sort of a given, I know. Um, uh, like just and just the way they would interact with these these characters, that would be a little bit of fun. But uh, a little bit more of Amuro, because I feel like he's a little muted in the film throughout, and seeing how like kind of like it is sort of it does take place with a more matured Amuro, but the more uh, tenacious character uh, that you get in the original episode would be fun itself. Ethan, do you have like a favorite kid, best best boy girl? kid um it's it's probably the the nerdy kid that uh milks um oh no what is the name of the goat it has a good name too blanca blanca of course uh the 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 nerdy one that what milks blanca is probably the one that's um the most endearing in his way but they're all a lot of fun um they have good designs yaz is good at designing uh designing child characters um as you know you know obvious with kika cats and lets and um the the gorg uh cast um by and large um i believe that child's name is mateo 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 yeah i think mateo is right yeah 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 mateo. That, yeah all right maddie maddie for real quick best kid oh best kid is is marco or marcos 
I wasn't sure which one, what or which which name he had, if it had an essay at the end or not. But him, the oldest, I liked him a lot. Okay, I think it's um, it I is Marcos. Marcos. Yeah, the the yeah. character. Marcos? Yeah, it is Marcos. Yep, yep. Because yeah, both are Spanish names, and I was just like, gosh, which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you're going on to me with the question, uh, mm. I enjoyed these slice of life scenes a lot. Um, this was exactly the fleshing out that I wanted from the original episode. I also feel like, um, despite them unfolding without a sense of urgency, for me, I feel like it subtly raised some urgency because they raised the stakes. There's more lives at stake because you knew what was coming. Lives that you begin to care about, you know, because you're getting to know these characters, you know, especially Marcos. And while there's all these sweet light scenes of life on Alagranza, you know what's going to happen. And it ends up being more bombastic, you know, than the original episode had. The, all the trouble, it was just so much worse. Yeah, so that's a really I, great I point. I loved that. I loved that. I thought that was great. I wish we could spend even more time with the kids because I really vibed with their characterization. Um, but of course, uh, the story only allows us a limited snapshot. Even though it's an indulgent snapshot, it's still a limited snapshot into their lives. And PMC and I discussed this on the previous episode, but I would really like to know how Doan got them on the island. That's one of the lingering questions I have. Oh, absolutely. Me too. I just want to know, like, okay, they were clearly over here. Then how did they make it over there? And that's another question you know, I have for the original episode as well. But I digress. It's, you know, probably not important. True. All right, Sheena, I have to ask. Best kid. I agree with Maddie. Marcos is my favorite. I really like how um, his interactions with both uh, Don and Amro uh, grow and change like throughout the movie. And he just seems like a really, uh, he, he seems like a, just a well-written like teenage boy. Um, just a very like honest character. And I enjoyed him a lot. Um, but all, all of the kids were like, just like very like precious in general, um, especially the little one um, whose birthday it was, whose name I also, I cannot remember. Um, Julian, but yeah, they Julian. They they were all they were all very very cute. But yeah, I think I think Marcus was my favorite as well. And I I kind of really feel like like I was I watched the movie for those slice of life like scenes. I didn't really watch it so much for the action scenes, which is a strange thing to say about a, a mecha and a, it's particularly a Gundam movie. But I, I did feel like there was a, a proper amount of tension and urgency in those scenes. And they also left me like with like a lot of questions, not just how they got there, but like what's going to happen to them, like what's going to happen to them after the war. And you what really just like seeing is this like just like brief moment like in this one year war where for like a short period of time all of these kids and the Sion pilot are family on this island and like so something something's gonna give or change at some point but in this one moment they are like in this like almost idyllic situation um, where they're just like all family and I. I just found that like very fascinating. So I, I really enjoyed that. And I do feel like there's always going to be this underlying tension. Like there was a lot of tension, like when it came to like the lack of electricity and how it was like, clearly like there was a reason why there wasn't electricity. Um, but yeah, like I, I just, I, I watched it for those scenes and I, I, I really enjoyed all of them. Yeah. You bring up a good point. I'm really curious, like what became of the kids afterwards? Like, 
If you jump ahead to Zeta Gundam and they make another trip, return trip to Algranza, will is there a flourishing community of um, like foundlings on this island? Do they become a found family and like um, increase their community? I'm, I'm very curious about that. Or I imagine they all went their separate ways because of the um, vicissitudes of war. Yeah, which is like a very like sad thought, of course, because you've got this like very like idyllic like almost like moment. So just being able to like kind of like have a peek into that, like just kind of like special time is really cool. So I, I feel like I may have been set up here for, <laughs> for going into my next question because Sheena kind of already mentioned it, but uh, you know, this was a Mecca anime movie. And so uh, there were action scenes. And I think, you know, to, to, refer back to the the comments that steven and i had uh, i think steven was a little warmer on some of the action scenes uh than i was uh but but i think i was often critical of them and so i wanted to ask uh, and we'll start we'll start with you like did any of the action scenes stand out to you uh for good or for bad reasons if you want to pick one to to say good things about or you could pick one to say bad things about um i don't have any like significant like like i wouldn't say any of them are bad um, in my like opinion, um, I, I really did enjoy that like last third of the film, like when you get like the most action. Um, I really liked being able to like kind of like see like proof of like how good Doan is. I mean, of course, he had already like disabled the Gundam like at the beginning, but like seeing seeing him fight and the kind of like having like those like roots of just like at one point he just like starts like fucking like throwing rocks like it's the original <laughs> episode right like i i i enjoyed that a lot um i have seen like a lot of people talk about like how like brutal amro is um in that fight with the southern cross and while i definitely like it it did kind of catch me off guard at first it <sighs> It made it, it made sense to me um, that he he did what he had to do to like he's learning the value like he he was struggling with the fact that he was taking lives and now he's in a at a point where he's just like I have to take lives in order to protect people but yes it the 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 the, the foot stomping was a lot it was a lot <laughs> it really was a lot no I'm that that definitely sticks out to me among among the others as a you know particularly and, and one that really i think you can measure in terms of situating it in first gundam you comparing it to side seven and not being able to shoot you know people that were visibly people as, as they floated away from uh, from side seven what about you ethan what's what's hot with the action for you um i quite uh for what it is um i enjoyed it i feel like the fact that it is kind of um like there are stakes certainly uh, but the fact that it, you know it's it's Zaku's and and the original Gundam and it's not like trying to recreate any of the real big important battles as it was in Origin that helps it. Um, I talked about the fact that the model work is just better, the animation in general. Um, there's still a little light um, throughout the the mecha. Um, you know this is 3D CG and sometimes it can be a, diff- a bit difficult to parse that. But more than anything, it's um, the uh, the timing, the timing and the spacing on them. There's a bit more uh, artistic flourish um, to sort of complement and sort of maybe not distract, but um, well, it doesn't, yeah, take away from the fact that these are, you know, still 3D models. Uh, it makes the movement of them a lot more satisfying. Um, uh, they don't, uh, the timing on their movements is a bit more spaced out. Uh, the They snap into 
certain positions uh, in a more sort of, um, if not natural, then more satisfying way uh, that's reflective of sort of that old-fashioned cell animation style. Obviously, I would prefer cell animation, but that's that's a losing battle unless you're a television series, um, as in G-Witch. Um, but, um, Ethan, real quick, on that note, do we get some hand-drawn animation, like mecha animation in the like in Amuro's Fever Dream? Um, I looked through it, and I it looks like it might be. Um, it, it's difficult to tell, if only because of the filters um, yeah. applied to it, and, you know, it's just, yeah, Char for that, most of that, uh, that jumps to mind, but... Um, and again, it's, it's hard to tell because it's filters on top of, you know, cell shading filters that are designed to make them look like hand-drawn animation. But I think if it is, then that's good. I'm glad that they included some cell animation. If it isn't, then I feel like that's a testament to the quality of that animation. Um, but, well, the animation quality uh, as a whole, I think, uh, is better. You know, it's a, it's a notable step up from the origin, um, and it's exciting to see 3D CG mecha looking uh, quite so nice. Um, I feel like the, the fights themselves are, you know, kind of hit or miss. Um, I feel like even just on a choreography level, um, they uh, don't, they, they aren't super satisfying. I don't really like, uh, mostly I'm speaking towards, um, the Southern Cross core is sort of beat down, uh, because like, I like the, the framing of it, like urban combat is fun. Uh, but when they're just sort of just slamming the enemy directly into the ground and seeing no resistance, then, you know, there's no tension. It's not very fun. Um, uh, the standout fights were probably uh, the opening fight, actually. Uh, well, not the opening opening fight. That one is similarly sort of uh, a beat down, but it's uh, good tone, good mood, sort of that slasher, Gundam as slasher villain, or, well, Zaku as slasher villain in this instance. Uh, that's fun and good. Uh, but uh, Amuro's fight with um, uh, Dawn in the opening, I quite liked, um, mostly for, like, one moment um, where the background turns, like, I believe it's like a... Pro- bright blue slash purple it'll sort of hearkening back to the iconic moment of the gundam right after it tears off the uh, mouthpiece of the original zaku um and it's a flourish that's used uh throughout the series i love love loved that um because that's like my favorite stuff that they do in the original gundam is like when they just cut to this um abstract amorphous background um and really let the the colors and limiting the palette uh speak uh to the characters sort of emotions and towards setting tone uh it's uh cool and good um and and the final fight is fun um and enjoyable i feel like again the the amuro stepping on someone might be a bit far for the character but i feel like it sort of it, it also does kind of track with his point in the series like i don't feel like amuro and the original doans would have done that um, but, uh, but a post-Matilda, uh, Amaro might be a bit more hardened to that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, good action. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a good way. I, yeah. I, I think when you think about it, you can, you can understand taking that step <laughs> if you, if you know what I mean. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a fair take. What about you, Maddie? Where's the, where are the action scenes set for you? Um, the, the one that stood out to me in a good way, because I have one that's good. I liked everything. Let me preface first. I liked everything in general, but I do have criticisms of one specific, but let's start with the good news. The, the ground-based fight where we're introduced to the Southern Cross. I liked that one a lot because it Hell really yeah. gave <laughs> I thought it was gonna be the only those one. suits so you, much Maddie. weight. Thank you. Thank you for being correct. Um, <laughs> That scene carried a lot of weight to it. Like, every mobile suit felt so heavy, you know, tied down by gravity. 
and it made the Southern Cross seem like very formidable en enemies. They didn't like quite chop through the gyms too fast, but fast enough where it was just like, okay, there's a struggle, but still they overcame. I like that a lot. Great start. And while that was, while this was a fun fight, I didn't like when the Southern Cross folded too fast against Doan because how long has it been since, you know, they've interacted with him last? I would imagine that they've improved some. And I don't imagine that Doan is fighting as often. I don't imagine he's constantly chopping down gyms or something on Allegranza, like, other than those few times. So I just, I kind of wish that they were a bit more formidable against him specifically. But I feel like in comparison to what I was hoping for, they kind of folded like paper. And I, I just, it was a great fight but I wish they didn't fold like paper. I, I, I love the expression uh, chopping down gyms because I'm now imagining, and Ethan, feel free to steal this as fan art. Because we talked about like Doan as a folk hero, and I'm imagining him now as Paul Bunyan with his <laughs> uh, like lumberjack outfit and a huge axe just ch 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 chopping down like a, a forest of mobile suit gyms. You could put him in like a like the flannel. That would be really cute, like a yeah. like a Zaku with a flannel jacket. D Doan could definitely pull off flannel, n Hot no question. Oh yeah, lumberjack Doan. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Ethan, again, feel free to steal that. <laughs> I might. <laughs> I think I'm I'm next up with question number five. All right. <laughs> I am a card-carrying member of the Bright Defense Force, so don't let my biases influence you. But did you all have a favorite character? To you, who had the most standout moments? Who stole the show? And maybe you might argue that otherwise. You might say that no one stole the show for better or worse. But Maddie, I'm going to throw it to you. You know it. You know that Bright stole the show for me. I was absolutely elated to see him again on the screen. Oh my gosh. Bright fans, I was just itching to tell Megan this because I saw it the day before she did. And I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I have to, I want to tell her so bad, but I can't, that we're fed so well. I, I'm just so glad that they did that callback to Bright slapping Amaro and, you know, how he showed, like, serious regret, you know, for slapping him rather than just, you know, not looking back. You know how in the original series, how we don't get that look back. And other than that, just like I said before, Marcos also got a lot of my attention. Um, since not all the little kids were, like, much younger, you know, Marcos is just about his age, if not the exact same age. So it, you know, creates this different dynamic than what, you know, the three kids from the original show provided. And I really liked that building rivalry that Marcos, you know, one-sidedly built with Amaro a lot. Mostly bright for me, but Marcos was a close second. I really, really liked him a lot. Awesome. Sheena, what about you? Um, this is incredibly silly, but I love Slager Law. I, okay. I love him. And I mean, I, it's like a, it's also like a Macross fan and the, like, Roy, Roy Fokker, like Nobru uh, Ishiguro is like referred to him as like the spiritual son of, of Slager Law. And like, I'm, I'm a big, big Roy Fokker fan too. Um, it, it was, it was nice to like, I like, I really enjoyed a lot of the silly, like, white-based moments as well, mm. and, like, those little, like, things with the crew, and I do wish that, like, we had a little bit more of that in the movie, but also wasn't really necessary, but, like, it was, it was, um, it was nice to have some, some, like, fun, like, slicker moments in there. 
Um, though I think overall my favorite character was Amarel. Um, I think this is one of my favorite more recent um, depictions of him. Um, I think like it catches him at a very interesting time in the series and in the war itself, where like he's not this like hyper badass new type and but he's also not like in just like his like extreme throes of like stress and depression like he's he is a he is a boy he is a teenage boy who is experiencing life he's thrust in this strange situation and trying to do like what he can and i thought that uh he was characterized like especially well in this film so i really liked amaro yeah, and it's bittersweet, too, because this is the last time some of these voice actors are going to reprise these roles, so it adds, like, an element of poetic weight to this film. Like, a, it's a, a curtain call. All right, Ethan. I know you're a big Macross fan. You going Slager Law, too? Um, I like Slager. Uh, I do appreciate, like, I feel like it handles Slager and that it gives him something really awful to say and then immediately has him eat shit, um, which is appropriate. I feel like Slager's <laughs> at his best when he's uh, kind of goofy um, and a little dumb, like he messes up in a big way, but he's got a lot of heart um, rather than uh, when he's attempting to uh, moralize uh, to people. I feel, I feel like Yaz has always understood um, a bit better how to handle Slager. I've always had a bit more affection to for him. I feel like he... Uh, even even Tomino intended him to be um, a bit of a blowhard and for him to be, you know, sort of um, overcompensating intentionally within the text um, on some level. Uh, but Slayer Law is probably not my favorite. Um, I'm, of course, very happy to see uh, Makuve back. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's great. Makuve is my, my favorite of the, the larger uh, classic uh, first Gundam villains. Um, and he's he's given a lot to chew on here. Uh, it feels like a, a good balance between his characterization in the origin and um, uh, the original series. He's a bit more uh, conniving here than you'd see there. He's um, but I feel like it, it didn't quite hit for me uh, until like the very end when he seems pretty happy that everything went to pot. Like his like the plan failed. Um, like it kind of hits that balance between like his subordinates being a little confused. Like he's clearly angry, but he's not just going to have a shouting row with them um but but he is i, I guess fairly peripheral uh to the larger story um i feel like in terms of other returning characters uh bright i agree is probably of the of the white base crew the most um his characterization is the closest to, like the original series while also updating it in that nice way um i i like doan a lot he's a lot of fun it, it was hard for me to pick a favorite out of this one because i i feel like uh, everyone's fairly enjoyable, uh, but Kai was uh, probably the favorite of my favorite to see back because um, it's it's Kai in that uh, phase where he's like kind of getting things figured out, but he's still a little bit of a shithead. Um, you know, it's it, this is directly before the events in Belfast. Uh, it's nice to see un untainted Kai or um, Kai before his life has been ruined uh, briefly. You know, he gets things together in Zeta Gundam, uh, but. Uh, it's just good to see him. He's sort of sort of a personal favorite of the original crew. Very distinct sort of design on top of being a, a lot of fun. Um, so I'll probably I'll probably stick with Kai um, as a favorite. Kai and Makuve, the guys with the droopy eyes. <laughs> I'm now imagining some Gundam Wing Metal Gear Solid fan art of Kai, like punished Kai after the Belfast arc with like a big fucking eye patch on. There we go. That's the way to do it. Yeah, uh, Michiru is his boss. <laughs> <laughs> 
You could always tell where someone is if they're watching First Gundam based on their opinions on Kai. Because if they go, who is this peevish brat? I fucking hate Kai. You know they're still in the beginning of the show. And then if you go, you know, and then if you're saying like how much Kai steals the scenes and how much you like Kai, you know you're past the Belfast arc. At least in my opinion, at least. I really warmed to Kai by the midpoint of that show. Oh, absolutely. Belfast is like, like some of the peak of that show. Probably the most eff- just effective storyboarding on top of it. Like like just Michiru's passing uh the way it's done oh it's so good it's gorgeous before we leave this question though notice how no one said hayato so we still have hayato erasure and <laughs> no joe no job john i just gotta i definitely gotta utter job john into the mic before the recording's over i forgot I my... he was a character yes yeah, <laughs> john or job john <laughs> biblical or american english um i was so happy to see him not even funny Seriously. <laughs> love, love my boy. <laughs> you know, speaking of, of Job John or Job John, that's a, that's a good segue for me into, into my question. Cause one of the, one of the, I guess the things about this film. So this, uh, the theatrical release of this film in, uh, in America was over two nights. And, uh, the, I think, in, I think everywhere, the first night was the, you know, the, the original, uh, Japanese dubbing. And then on the second night, there was a, English dub, which as far as I know, the only way anybody has seen this English dub is by being in a theater for that second night of Cuckoo's Stones Island. Uh, and so I wanted to check in uh, with each of you on, you know, how did you see the film? Did you, did you see, I- I'm going to say subbed, of course, what I'm saying, you know, the, the Japanese voices with English subtitles, or did you watch it with the English dub or did you watch both? And then any standout vocal performances, you know, I, I Stephen already mentioned the, the fact that you had a lot of the original cast likely reprising their roles for the last time. Um, but, you know, I mean, so that could be a, a thing to pull on. Uh, but you also had a lot of really standout, I think, uh, you know, I saw the dub and a lot of the, uh, a lot of returning actors from origin, but also some really new actors. I think, for example, the English voices for, for Slayer Law and Doan were relatively, uh, you know, less, uh, less credited actors. So, uh, Ethan, what about you? How did you see the film and any standout performances? Yeah, so um, I've seen it. I, I watched it in Japanese uh, shortly after it uh, originally came out um, through through means. Um, and then I got to see it in the theater uh, with the English dub, which was very exciting. Rah, rah, etc. Um, uh, regarding dub performances, because I feel like that's that's the more tantalizing one. It's the exclusive mm-hmm. thing. Um, I, there were... Uh, three performances that stood out um particularly for different sort of reasons uh, ezra wise as uh, makuve uh, i feel like he redeems himself a little bit i did not like his performance uh in the uh, origin ovas um, but i feel like he, he finds a far better balance of being kind of oily uh here um than he d- did in that original series he's maybe maybe not quite up to snuff uh with the uh the original ocean dub performance but um i feel like he's he's redeemed himself uh in my eyes um uh, in terms of like sort of a bombastic hyperbolic performance um for egba the sort of leader of the southern cross corps uh stood out to me mostly because apparently he's voiced by gianna Ma- gianni matragrano the the meme boy the the twitter guy who does the the meme voices for like duke nukem stuff um on by which was surprising to me uh he's a, he's a good vocal talent i'm happy to see that he's not just the twitter meme boy now he's the he's the guy who's in feature films on the big screen um and I think he puts in a really good performance because I feel like that sort of um, very loud sort of character can be a lot of fun. Then um, he 
it puts a lot of emotion behind it. He's well suited to it. Um, and sort of the standout um, overall kind of performance is Mike Smith's Dawn. I feel like that's unsurprising. Um, but uh, I feel like he's the, yeah, just he does a really good job of doing a like sort of powerful bassy voice with a certain amount of vulnerability in it. Um, like that's a, it's a more delicate line to walk than a character, like a big guy character like Egba. Um, and that he's, a, but uh, he's good at sort of including a lot of subtle emotion and his uh, tone and in his performance, um, which is kind of what you need from Don. He can't be very obvious about the way he's feeling uh, at a time. Uh, so overall, I think there are a lot of strong performances, but those are the three that stood out to me the most. Um, Japanese, uh, I don't have a lot to say. I feel like, you know, obviously a lot of the returning voice actors do great work. Uh, but the one that stood out to me was, again, Makuve, because uh, I just love Makuve. Uh, but he, he's recast. He's not the original uh, voice actor, of course, because the original voice actor has passed. Uh, but he's played by uh, Takumi Yamazaki, who I think puts in a great performance, extremely oily and effective and uh, most relevant to Giant Robot FM. Uh, the hero of the first series you guys covered, he plays Isamu in uh, the Japanese version of Macross Plus. Um, so it's nice seeing him with a certain amount of vocal range there, because it does not very much sound like his uh, Isamu performance at all. Uh, yeah, uh, well, little, I, I, of course different. I have to bring up now. I'm I'm surprised they didn't reach out to Brian Cranston about the dub. Oh, damn, they should have uh, gotten <laughs> from Kuve. Brian, it's a union job. You can do it. It's true. That is true. Shoutouts to NYAV Post doing doing the good work. Hopefully, that means there's a release for it too, as well for the for that English dub uh, in particular. Absolutely. Also, Ethan, I wanted to point out, too, you're the first person to reference any of the Southern Cross Corps by name, which I think is very telling because we're an hour and 10 minutes in this record and no one has uttered any of their five names into the mic, which says a lot about their characterization. Yeah. What about you, Matt? You, what, how did you see the film? What, what are your standout vocal performances? Well, I was very lucky to be able to see it in the theater for both showings because despite its very strange theater distribution with like literally almost nobody I know being able to go see it like on Twitter anyway, um, this theater was actually the one that was closest to my house and they normally don't get anime screenings so strange but I'll take it. Um, I made an evening out of it both times and I had a rip roaring time both times. The casting for Doan in both English and Japanese was, you know, superb. Mike Smith's performance, you know, was surprising. Not that I expected it to be bad, but I was like, wow, this is really good. I, like, vocally said that to myself, like, under my breath. I was just so, you know, enthralled with it. It was just fantastic. Um, and Kyle McCarley made a great Hayato. I wanted to say no, no Hayato erasure, because I was going to bring him up. I wrote this down. <laughs> and Toshio Furukawa absolutely still nails Kai's voice very well. Now, um, I am going to bring up another Southern Cross um, crew member by name. I liked the English casting for Danan or Danan a lot more than the Japanese casting. I don't know. His Japanese voice, I just, maybe I've grown stale on those kinds of characters with like really ridiculously zany voices. But I really liked how it sounded more in English. I don't know. I just, I'm not sure if it's like a personal thing, or maybe there was something wrong with the direction. I certainly didn't like the Japanese direction, and I liked the English direction a lot more with um, Danon's voice. Just to make sure everyone's on the same page, Danon is, in fact, the character with the, the salamander tattoo on the face. Just 
Just, mm. <laughs> I, I think you could pick up from the context of what, what Maddie was saying by, you know, the, 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 the person being particularly outlandish and crazy, but just to, uh, just to make sure. No, I, I think that's, you know, I'd be curious to compare those kinds of things. I feel like those particularly eccentric characters and how they would get dubbed in English versus the original performance is like something that's changed a lot, right? Like, that, like oftentimes I feel like they would try to mimic the like specific eccentricity of the performance in the original Japanese. And I don't think that's really the case anymore. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting to, to kind of look at that particular uh, character archetype and how they get performed. Oh, precisely. Like I feel like there's good eccentric in any language when it comes to like the sound of someone's voice. And then there's like a bad eccentric, like, this is invoking another Gundam film that I have a, a very negative view upon. Danon's Japanese direction, like this, I feel kind of like, I don't know, stale on it in the same way I felt about like Zoltan's voice from Gundam Narrative. And I, I feel like the, the opinion of Gundam Narrative is almost universal in how uh, most of us definitely don't like it. Yeah, no, that's, that's extremely fair. All right, Sheena, what about you? How did you see the film? What were your favorite vocal performances? Um, So I had a bit of a strange situation. I, I watched the sub. Um, I got to briefly watch a little bit of the dub. I had tickets. I went to the theater. Somebody stole my seat and refused to move. I got very oh. impatient. Um, I, I stood and watched like 15 minutes of it and was like, this dub is fun, but I've already watched this. I'm just going to leave. So, like, to like shout out to that guy in Pittsburgh who stole my seat. You suck. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, the little bit I heard of the dub was, like, perfectly perfectly fine. But, yeah, my, my main experience was with the sub. Um, I really enjoyed Ken Narita as uh, Bright. Um, and other than that, like, it's always, it's always, like, a joy to hear um, Furukawa as Kai. Um, it, it always will be. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a pretty timeless, uh, you know, portrayal of that character. It's, it is, it is always fun to see someone really on their game, continue to be on their game, even all these years later. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have question number seven. I'm going to break this off into two parts. So number one, we've been talking about, I think, relative positives about Cuckoo's Dones Island, but I want you to address some of the film's weaknesses. So how does it measure up against other Gundam films you've seen? And to uh, my discredit, I did not actually include the question, how do you all feel about Cuckoo's Dones Island overall? Even though this is not going to be the last question of our roundtable, definitely take this as an opportunity just to give your overall thoughts of the film. We, of course, talked about episode 15, but how do you feel about the 2022 film? And I imagine by talking about the film, you're also going to address some of the film's weaknesses. So, Maddie, you're up first here. Um, Overall, I felt like the movie was above average. I liked it. But, of course, you know, I have criticisms of it as the question, you know, entails. I definitely feel like the Southern Cross fell super flat. I was so intrigued by these characters and I wanted to know more about them individually, especially Wald and Selma. But I felt like we never got much of that. Like, we got a lot of development with the kids. Great. I like that. But then you introduce this group of characters... Like, I wanted at least a little bit of information. I like UC Gundam in general because of how intriguing it makes its side characters, even if they don't give them a lot of information, because what is given to you is often, you know, very interesting, or you are given a lot of meat. 
you know, in such a, you know, short or maybe a longer amount of time. The Southern Cross, you know, as a group, together, they were all right. But individually, eh, this movie measures up well in comparison to other Gundam films I've seen, like, despite it all. And I had incredible time both times, but I really wanted to get to know each member of the Southern Cross more. But I understand the movie was already almost two hours long. But I just wanted to get to know them a little bit more, man, so I could like them, you know, a little bit more, despite, you know, Zeon Wink. I just want to get to know characters more, and I felt like they were just there to get chopped down by Doan, like Paul Bunyan, you know? (laughs) I totally agree. We talked a lot about that with our episode with Megan, just how how much the characterization on the Southern Cross Corps is lacking, and how much time as a result is spent on them um, without doing much of anything with them. Right, it's just like, there's so much that you could have done, and with that concept art that came out, I was really hoping for that, but maybe I got myself too excited in that specific front, or maybe I didn't. Maybe it's more of a rightful criticism than I think it is. All right, Sheena, you're up. How does it stack up against other Gundam films, and how do you feel overall about Cuckoo's Dones Island? Um, Overall, I really enjoy it. Um, I think it's a really great and um honestly just like kind of chill movie to watch is it my favorite Gundam movie not by a mile like not not even close it's good it's good but it's also a movie that i feel like doesn't need to exist um like like let's be real do we need did we need a feature length version of the last episode no um while it is very nice and it does give like some like characterization um yeah it just it didn't it didn't feel particularly necessary i think like it does do beautiful work building on the original episode it give it makes um a lot of things make more sense um explains things better and i do i do think like the southern cross um part is probably yeah it's 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 the weakest by far and it's a and it's a shame like it the movie would have gone like too long if it did have the things that i wanted which would have been more more white base and more southern cross and this movie was is a standalone, and it camps it realistically should not have been that long. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I think there's um, the unfortunately, like yeah, the, the Southern Cross thing is the biggest weakness. And honestly, like I wish there was like a little bit of more of Macuve too. Like it was nice, like to have him like back at the end. But I was just like, whoa, when's the last time I saw him? Like fifty minutes ago, like at least. Um, so there's there's definitely like all these gorgeous slice of life scenes that I'm like here to watch this film for, but also like I realize like towards the end like wow like a lot of stuff like is rushed um, in comparison. I mean, it obviously has also like the less the least amount of action that I've ever seen in a Gundam movie. Um, that's not necessarily a complaint; it's just an observation. It's a Honestly, like like I said, I like it. It's certainly not a bad movie. It's a very good movie, but it's an unusual one. It's an unusual Gundam film. No, I definitely agree. You know, now I'm thinking about it, if you don't count the compilation films, there are only four standalone Gundam films. I guess five. F-91, Char's Counterattack, Narrative, Endless Waltz, if you're not counting that as a compilation film, and this, right? 
uh, G Savior, did you mention? Um, <laughs> uh, G Savior. It's funny because PMC and I will. Is that the one we talk about? Is that the one we talk about, or is it the one we do not speak of? <laughs> um, and I, I can't remember. Did you say? Did, uh, I believe Awakening of the Trailblazer, the the Double O movie, is uh, its own thing. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's um, also there's a there's the Sunburst Sky, the Thunderbolt one. Um, there's. Uh, the Oath MS team, the uh, Miller's report. Like there's, there are a lot of movies. They're not um, the most memorable movies, of course, but they're they're out there. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's tough tough to like what you consider a compilation film and what you don't. Because I'm still like fixating on Endless Waltz. Because Endless Waltz is like a like a personal favorite of mine. When we're talking about like movies that like you know everyone's always talking about Char's Counterattack. I feel like no one has anything positive to say about any of the original Gundam films um, but I have a real soft spot for Endless Waltz and Char's Counterattack's its own beast of course but like no one's really going to the bat for F91 and I feel the same is true uh, for some of those other films too like who's talking about G-Savior other than Giant Robot FM next year probably <laughs> uh, I have good things to say about F91 I think that's a, that's a rough movie but it's it's very pretty and has a lot of neat ideas but uh, uh, I agree with you yeah yeah, but I, I feel like I do agree in the, with the, the larger sentiment I feel like th- there are a lot of issues with it um, and I feel like you kind of have to say that about a lot of the Gundam films like it's a, it's a franchise that works best in like at least mildly decompressed format in an OVA um, by and large yeah the OVA seems to be the sweet spot because 50 episodes is tough to maintain that quality and uh, it's it's the same is true with maintain like only sp- having like two hours to dive into these issues with a feature film mm-hmm. yeah. alright Ethan you're up yes uh, my uh, my weaknesses um, is that uh, George Washington didn't play uh, when uh, Don was uh, killing uh, <laughs> Selma specifically I feel like uh, PMC mentioned that in the last episode and in the, uh, the Discord, um, and like I was just like, oh my god, finally, someone who was on the exact same wavelength as me <laughs> during that scene was because as soon like when the tear fell down uh, uh, down her face, all I could think of was Washington, um, uh, uh, Dan Neely's Washington for the viewers at home who may maybe missed the last one. Um, yeah, just to just to make that clear, I, I had been making a, a joke comparing the Cuckoo's Down of uh, of this film to to Brad Neely's George Washington as portrayed in the classic. Uh, I, don't, I forget if it was specifically Flash, but the classic like early two thousands uh, internet video. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, don't have any children around, uh, and then you know look it up and listen and watch it. It is. Um, I think it's it's aged better than a lot of other things from that time. Uh, and it's is an interesting portrayal of George Washington. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Blanca didn't have its own MS, uh, and uh, Kukuru's didn't uh, do the the Master Asia writing Funsaiki thing with Blanca. Um, like, I feel like if you have the Master <laughs> of Mobile Suit Martial Arts, you need to have that. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, um, I have a few issues with this one. Um, another another like half joking answer i suppose is that this is easily the uh sec- the worst army or southern cross group i've seen in anime far behind uh the army of the southern cross in the hit anime uh that got canceled halfway through its run but i still like a lot uh super dimension cavalry southern cross which was of course adapted for the second saga of the hit science fiction space opera <laughs> robotech uh shout outs to that show it's the first real robot anime with a female lead um 
which cool, good. You love to see it. Um, but no, the, the army of the Southern, the, the Southern Cross Corps. God, conflating my terms already. Uh, not great. I don't love them. Um, they are they are kind of boring for the most part. Uh, I like Agba in in his way, like in the sense of he's like a just sort of a blowhard, like a fun archetype. Um, but like, there's nothing to them, and I almost wish they'd just done like what they did in the original. Uh, uh, Phil, or the original show, is kind of just have them be like faceless Zeon goons in cool suits. I get it. You kind of want to want a character to sell along with the suit when you sell like the custom kits, and then you know, then you have five variations on the high mobility Zaku for each member that you can sell or whatever. Uh, but th- yeah, they're sort of the weak link, and again, just the larger stakes. Like there didn't need to be a nuke involved. Like we care about the kids enough that we want to see them protected. That can be the the meat and potatoes of the f- the finale. Um, it feels like it suffers from like like movie syndrome or like that that Lupin the Third special kind of thing where they have to make the stake so big that it kind of trips up um, things. Uh, like it just gets in the way of the the stuff you're actually there for, um, which is uh, frustrating. Um, but uh, the other big issue I had with it um, was Kara, the character of Kara, um, especially compared to her counterpart in the original episode, uh, Roland, uh, or Roland, I've seen her name romanized as. Uh, Roland, like, she doesn't have a lot to do, but by and large, she's um, just a lot more composed, and she feels more like a partner to Don um, when we see them interacting. Um, and, like, you know, sort of a mutual, like, re- parental kind of relationship. Like, they're on on the same wavelength, no secrets are being kept um in that original episode and uh, it's nice to see uh, a good like positive female representation in a gundam show uh, tomino uh, notoriously very hit or miss uh in his his writing of women um <laughs> and apparently yaz uh too uh in um this film because i feel like she's like uh, half of her lines are just like dawn and you know like yelling after dawn or amuro or whoever uh she's she's a fine character uh for what she she has to do in the film um but i feel like uh it's a certain amount of a downgrade. Uh, she's um, just sort of uh, there to be sort of a, a mother figure to the children and worry after Doan all the time um, without having a lot of autonomy on her own. And I, it's a bit disappointing because I feel like uh, Roland was a character that was a good base that could have been built on further. Um, d- despite that, uh, despite my criticisms of the, the film um, and my, my issues with it, I feel like it's overall strong. Um, like... Um, it doesn't need to exist, but it has that fun sort of like anniversary film kind of quality again, um, while still not feeling like a total throwaway sort of thing. Um, there's there's a bit more to it, some context, um, some odd decisions because it, it is a film I I can't really place in the chronology. Uh, like I don't know um, of origin again. I feel like the the absence of Matilda and the opening flashback and that sort of thing is is odd. And instead of having Amaro's dad, uh, who he thinks is who I I'm fairly certain at this point he thought was dead, right? Because he doesn't see him until they go back into space. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I it, that part is confusing too because I feel like the we see two visions of of Tamari. One of them makes sense because it's the one when he was in the spacesuit, you know, conducting traffic on side seven. <laughs> but then the first one where he's not in the spacesuit. You just kind of have to take on good faith that that's a version of him that Amara would have encountered, uh, you know, before leaving Side 7. And, like, it feels so much like the version we see later in First Gundam. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, it is now that, now that you've pointed it out to me, it does feel a little shady. <laughs> yeah, just in terms of, like, I don't know, things that have traumatized Amaro up to this point. But I guess um, you want to emphasize, like, the parental nature, I guess. Do- Dolan is a dad, so it makes sense that you'd want to sort of highlight that... Amaro, by default, has a pretty bad relationship with his dad. Um, 
uh, despite that, despite immediately pivoting into another criticism of the film, um, I did like it. I think it's one of the, the weaker entries in uh, the canon of Yaz of Gundam films. Like, I think it's um, like coherent on its own um, and, and enjoyable, uh, but it never reaches those high. Like, there are no like individual highs in the same way. Like, the the best moments of F ninety one are really really good, but like as a whole, it has a good balance. Um, of of Yaz's filmography, it's probably like the one of, if not just the best paced. I mean, you, there's surrounding context, so I, I, I. But I feel like even if you didn't weren't a Gundam fan, um, it would be you know a bit more decompressed uh, in its way. Um, and like Crusher Joe kind of feels like three short films schlepped together, three OVAs kind of smeared together, and Venus Wars, you know, and uh, Arian are both films which are compressing a lot of material uh, into one feature. Um, uh, but this one feels a bit more coherent as a whole. Um, and it's just a lot of fun seeing the gang get back together. Uh, that's, it's a very rewarding in a, of that. And it succeeds at doing that, um, on its own terms and being a fun movie, which is all you could really ask. On your Yasuhiko power ranking, Ethan, is th- what's number one? I'm, you had to choose. <sighs> if you're on, if you're on Kukuru Stone's Island, it can only bring one of his films. One of his films, um... I feel like probably Aryan or, or v, um, yeah, probably Aryan, at least right now, like depending on the mood you catch me in Venus Wars and Aryan kind of flip positions a lot okay. um, just because I love, love them both. They're both great movies that are very, very, very pretty um, and have great Joe Hisaishi scores. Um, but right now I'm feeling Aryan. Um, but yeah, this is. I don't know, this one I might find more watchable than Crusher Joe, even if I like it less than Crusher Joe, if that makes sense. Like, it would be a lot easier to turn on than Crusher Joe. Yeah, as, as resident Crusher Joe disliker, I definitely agree. that The the pacing in that film just killed me. Now, PMC, you, you're going to wrap this up with the last question. I think this is a really fun question, too. Yeah, so this is a bit of a forward-looking question. At this point, you know, we've talked about the film for, for a, a, a pleasant almost 90 minutes now. And uh, one of the things that came up in our discussion of Kukuru Stone's Island, the film, was that a producer mentioned that, you know, if this is a successfully commercial commodity, the adaptation of a first Gundam episode into a feature-length film, that there exists the potential for future such adaptations in the film. Certainly, it's no surprise that there would be a desire to further mine first Gundam for, for more content. That's, this surprises no one. Uh, I think in particular, uh, I'll throw out the, the softball that the producer mentioned, which was adapting episode 14, Time Be Still, the one that immediately precedes Kukuru's Don's Island. Uh, of course, that's the one with um, uh, Koran and his team that plant the bombs and have this whole commando raid and it ends with the tense bomb defusal. So I wanted to pose uh, to each of you uh, that sort of question. Uh, I... What, you know, what first Gundam episode would you want to see adapted into a feature-length film? Uh, I'll start with you, Ethan. Oh, that's a, it's a hard one, uh, because my default answer is always going to be uh, The Duel in Texas, just to make that an hour and a half, because I want more Makuve. Um But no, uh, the, <laughs> I, I've been considering this one, and I think um, you guys mentioned it, um, and it's been sticking with me, um, so like as, as a second answer uh the the zeon secret mine episode i feel like it has the opportunity to expand it with like more characters like amuro's time away from the white base kind of in the same way dawn's 
uh, allows itself. Like you would have to add more characters and that sort of thing, but it could be something. Uh, but the, the one that was really big for me was um, actually uh, another, I don't know, kind of a maybe a Dark Horse candidate um, pick uh, is the new type, Chalia Bull, um, which is sort of... Um, I really like Chalia Bull. I think gets a great treatment by Yaz uh, in the manga um, as sort of the substitute for Makuve. Um, he gives a lot more depth, um, and I feel like you know the man from Jupiter. Uh, there's a lot of like larger lore implications, and like from a commercial standpoint, um, it's a way to get people interested in like F91 and uh, Crossbones material uh, with the Jupiter Empire and that sort of thing. Um, sort of the the pression, like you can plant the seeds for that uh, in a way, and still have it tie into the one year war, so you get that crowd in. Um, and I just I think Shalia Bull is an interesting character as old man new type uh, as well, um, and his assistant, um, who you see like testing the brow bro in an earlier episode, um, feels like she is a character with some amount of narrative uh, to mine from her, like. Um, as this engineer uh, who seems to be like the brains behind the brow bro um, on top of it. I just feel like there's a lot to do there. Um, and I would love to see a big budget version of Amro's fight with the brow bro, um, particularly uh, Yaz's interpretation of it. No, that's a really cool answer too. Cause I, I think you're especially pulling on some threads that, you know, you could, you could bring that material. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm not really too familiar with, with a lot of what, what you mentioned in terms of you know, F91 or, or crossbones or that kind of stuff. So uh, that would be that would be very neat to uh, you know to to pull upon. No, I, I I like that I like those picks a lot. What about you, Maddie? Um, I actually have a concise answer. The first one and pretty much only one that immediately came to my mind. Well, this is a twofer, not a single episode, but a twofer. Um, the Belfast episodes, episodes twenty-seven and twenty-eight, a spy on board and across the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. Both because you know it's a concise you know two-episode plotline. I want these both because Miharu is great, the episodes are great, and honestly, simplistically, I want a movie where Kai is central, because I liked him. I didn't think that he was a sniveling little brat, and even if I did, I liked him because he was a sniveling little brat. You know? I And I'm watching that shift from little wiener to less of a wiener, and you know, a movie with like a, you know, a terrifyingly tragic end, and it just, you know, ends there i don't know i'd be intrigued with that honestly i just want a kai movie no Very i would love i would love that especially because all of like the little the little beats of that you know the the hidden weapon and the peddling food on the street and the spy movie bits and the bicycles obviously bicycles are important they could actually <laughs> animate the chain this time instead of just putting in a giant chain guard um you know i, I would i would definitely be very very excited for that that would be 3D CG now, PMC. Yeah, right. no, works, well, that's okay. You can out. have a 3D CG bicycle. I accept that. But yeah, it's just, it's a spy movie. There's right. so much you can do with that. It would be just so good. And it's Kai. Because what's better? <laughs> Gundam is often at its best when it's doing spy stuff. That is, uh, it's true in First Gundam. It's true in Gundam Wing. Uh, you know, and, 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 and you know, many other many other works. Oh, absolutely, 100%. But yeah, that's my answer. I don't have multiple picks. That was just, when I saw this question, I'm like, got it. 27, 28, done. I like that. I mean, a lot of people love that story. I mean, I think a lot, you know, Ethan, you know, sung its praises earlier, the, the, the Belfast arc, you know, having that be a film and having Kai star, uh, that seems, you know, that seems pretty natural, really. 
give me a hangout film that takes place in Ireland. Like to see Ireland love Ireland lovingly animated, I'd be all for that. And that might even have to comment on the status of Irish unification in the UC Century timeline, you know? That would be, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to wade in the dangerous waters uh, you know, with, the, with the Gundam film. All right. Sheena, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on you because you said, you know, why, why did this film even, or I forget exactly how you phrase it. I don't want to put words in your mouth because I think you mentioned that, like, this is, did this film need to exist? But let's let's say that we're locked into a world of commercialization where they're going to keep doing this. What what would you want to see be adapted into a feature-length film? Honestly, my first thought was the Belfast episodes. I am also a Kai stan. I recently um, had like a watch party with some of my friends. We watched uh, Zeta, a new translation for the first time. And I had many criticisms, but one of them was not enough Kai. But... Honestly, I think that entire, like, that section of the series where Kukuru's Stone's Island is, like, that, like, episode, like, 14 to 20 is one where, like, there are a lot of good possible options. Like, other other than, um, like, um, a spy on board, like, I would say, like, I'd really like to see an adaptation of Sailor's Agony. Um, <laughs> honestly, just, like, a full, like, Sailor-centric movie would be really cool um get just get her in that Gundam have that have that like trying to find salt side story <laughs> to make it super salty I, I want <laughs> no that, that's a good that's a good picture I'm, I one of the things I like about uh, the answers that all of you gave is that you know you are naturally I think honing in on on different characters that you know it would be enjoyable to to like in particular spotlight whether that be Kai whether it be, Mukuve, uh, you know, whether that be um, uh, Sela, you know, I think all of these, uh, you know, would, would work and, you know, would, would fulfill a number of the things that we liked about this film, you know, in terms of giving us uh, white base family moments and, and, and things like that that you, you might expect from, from some of these works being adapted. I think this brings us to the end of our episode, PMC and friends. Yeah, good work, everybody. <laughs> we did it. We did it. Hooray. Huh. The white base is flying over us. Yeah, the white base soars over the podcast and carries off into uh, the distance. Do we want to? Do we want to roll through uh, the plugs real quick and before we uh, sail away? Finally, yeah, totally. Uh, Maddie, let's start with you. Plug away. Um, honestly, I am just a humble Twitter poster. I sometimes post my anime opinions, but honestly, my Twitter blog is just you know me living my life and. Getting stuck in an elevator today. You can find me on Hyakushiki0087 on Twitter. Or double zero. Not letter O, zero. I just say double O just because, you know, James Bond brain. Yeah, we're, we're Gundam poisoned here too. <laughs> Ethan, my friend, what about you? Well, uh, you can find me and my artwork by and large on Twitter.com uh, at sundown underscore McMoon. Uh, that's a reference to the Galaxy Express 39 uh, movie dub from the 80s by Roger Corman, for all those in the know. Uh, for my actual uh, other work, um, you can find me on zekefilm.org, uh, where I write reviews of animated films far too infrequently. Um, and uh, most pertinently, you can find me on the YouTube and also on Twitter. Uh, we have a lot of social media accounts uh, with Bomb Squad Productions. We do a... Uh, a podcast not dissimilar to this format, sort of the uh, roundtable style uh, of discussion um, once a week. Um, I'm not on every episode, but I am on the ones where we talk about cartoons, um, upcoming 
uh, probably coming out um, around this, probably, yeah, the same day uh, as this episode is our episode on uh, the 1977 film Wizards by Ralph Bakshi, the post-apocalyptic fantasy uh, animated feature, which is uh, very exciting because that's sort of a, a bigly significant film to me and a delightful mess. Um, but we also do a lot of uh, other little things. Um, but, you know, the, uh, that's the meat and potatoes is uh, the the podcast, question mark? It's called Bomb Squad Movie Nights now, uh, where we, uh, because we have a lot of visuals and uh, that sort of thing, maybe something closer to like Best of the Worst or like Red Letter Media's um, current thing with maybe a bit more of an academic slant uh, overall. Awesome. And last but not least, Sheena, plug away. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Macross. I would say it's 50% poetry and 50% anime, a very horrible combination. Um, if you are interested in my work, um, my latest chapbook, Late Night in a Tight Space, uh, is available at, um, I believe it's only available currently through Amazon uh, via a- Alien Buddha Press. Um, but my pen name for that is also Miss Macross. Um, and if you would like to see my blog post about retro OVAs and give me suggestions or tell me what I got wrong, you can find it at MissMacross.com. Awesome. And I, I little do they know, or some of them know, but I have plans for each of them if they so choose and want to guest on future Giant Robot FM episodes. Um, so you hopefully will be hearing all of them uh, sometime in the future. All right. You want me to take it away, Stephen? Yeah. All right, folks. So uh, just to cap it off, this is, of course, the end of our coverage of Cuckoo's Stones Island. Uh, you know, we have done a history episode, did a discussion episode of the excellent Megan D. And of course, this caps the uh, roundtable episode. Uh, if you want to support us, an excellent way to do that is to leave a review on your preferred podcatcher, your iTunes or your Spotify or wherever. Uh, you know, we're an independent podcast, so wherever you can provide a word of mouth recommendations is very, very much appreciated. Uh, it just does so much for us to help other people know about what we're doing. If you want to support us directly, we do have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash giant robot FM. Uh, we have a $2 tier with an exclusive patron discord. Uh, we have a very exciting $5 tier right now where the $5 tier is what we call the bonus podcast tier. Uh, ordinarily we do these B plots episodes where we talk about other media that we are uh, interested in right now uh, as a special occasion, we are doing weekly coverage of mobile suit Gundam, the witch from Mercury as it releases. Uh, so that is ongoing, uh, you know, as, as of recording, uh, we're about to put out our coverage of the fifth episode. And of course we'll continue to follow that. Uh, week to week we've had guests it is the episodes are a little shorter than these mainline episodes but we still have guests on get a variety of, of uh, takes uh, it's been a ton of fun obviously which mercury has been a ton of fun so i want to mention if that is of interest to you we have a few radio free mercury episodes on the main feed and then uh episodes uh, two through four are available to two dollar tier patrons if you just want to dip your toe in uh, and then from from November on, you know, starting with with uh, tomorrow's episode, uh, that is the episode released on November second. They'll all be five dollar uh, episodes. So again, if you are interested, uh, zero the episode covering the prologue and the first episode. Those are on the main feed. Those are on the free feed. Check those out if that's of value to you. Uh, go to Patreon.com/slash/GiantRobotFM. Also, we have a premium podcast that we call Simulator, where we give mecha video games the same treatment that we give mecha anime 
Uh, we've done the first three Armored Core games. We've done Zardion. We're currently working on a Front Mission series history episode to be followed by an episode covering the first Front Mission, in particular the Front Mission remake that is about to release uh, for, for Switch. Uh, so if that is, is of interest to you, you know, check that out. Uh, that is over on the on the $10 tier. And uh, yeah, all those things, patreon.com slash giantrobotfm. If, I would like to give credit to Dwarf S for the graphics that we use, and I want to give credit to Fretzel, hashtag band Fretzel, for the music that we use. So to wrap things up here, we've been podcasting for almost two hours, and we didn't even get to talk about how fucking ugly Slager Law's custom GM is. <laughs> oh, so, so true. Like, oh. I love when it eats shit.